Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And I say that to the men, not to the women, because the women all know that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. But men, if you're like me, you forget these things quite easily. But I am afraid that this is the only advice I have to offer anyone in here. For if you come to me and ask what you should get your wife for Valentine's Day, well, I won't have an answer for you because you're the one who should know your wife. And you should know what she desires, that which pleases her, that which she loves more than all the rest. I know for one, my wife loves a bouquet of flowers. She likes to get them in a vase and put them on her dining room table, but I can't say this is true of every woman. I know my mom, though she would accept a bouquet of flowers, would much rather go to her local flower store and buy an actual rose bush so she can put it in her own garden and enjoy it, not for just a week, but for perhaps years to come. And so not all women like the same thing. And even my own wife doesn't necessarily like the typical box of chocolates. She would rather have a Reese's peanut butter cup and better yet, skip the chocolate altogether and give her some Sour Patch Kids preferably the watermelon ones, or if you can find them, the red and blue ones, not the yellow, green, and all the other ones, just the red and blue ones. So it is, men, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and I hope you know your wives well enough to get the things that she desires, that which she loves, that which she wills to receive. And yet even more importantly, today is the Lord's Day, And every day is a day that the Lord has made, and so every single one of us ought to do what pleases God. And if we want to do what pleases God, well, we need to know what his will is. We need to know what it is that he wants us to do. And if this sounds familiar, and it should, it's because Tate has been leading up to today, in the last two weeks, going through Paul's prayer request for the Colossians. He's got one petition, Tate has reminded us, and that petition is this, that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's the one petition there in Colossians 1, 9. And then after that, we see the one purpose of this petition. Paul writes in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. I'm gonna stop right there because I'm getting into my text. That that is the, the one purpose, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And so this is the one purpose, the one, the one, excuse me, petition that he has, and then the one purpose of that petition, so that we would please God. And that leads us right into today's text. And that is these four participles that follow this purpose. These are participles, these are just. These are just words that are are verbs that are used as adjectives. So they're describing the person who pleases God. And Tate has helped us by by putting it in red. I hope hope it's there in the slide. Um, But these participles are easy to see because they end in I-N-G. And so so listen to these participles, these things that are to describe the person who is, is walking worthily of the Lord. In verse 10, it says, he is bearing fruit in every good work, And increasing, there's the second one, increasing in the knowledge of God. Number three, he's being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And then number four, he's giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And so what we see in these four words, these four 
participles are the results of those who have received the spiritual wisdom that Paul is asking God to give to the Colossians. And so if you know what God's will is, then you will know how to please him. And we don't need to wonder what it is that pleases him. For Paul, he lays it out. And so let us do the same thing this morning. Let us look at these four things that please the Lord and consider them each one at a time. These are the results of having received spiritual wisdom. And these are the things that are fully pleasing to God. Starting in verse 10, the first one. If we are to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, then we will be bearing fruit in every good work. And so being filled with the knowledge of God's will and having all spiritual wisdom so as to have understanding will result in us doing every good work. This is the first point I want us to see. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us that doing good works is a result of being filled with this spiritual wisdom. For when we are filled with this knowledge, then we know what it is that God wills us to do. His wills are simply his commands. The things that we are to do, if we're saying, what is God's will for my life? We can simply know what his will is by reading his word. So this shouldn't surprise us that this is the first result of spiritual wisdom, that we do good works. But what might surprise some of us is that the Colossians are already doing good works. Remember back in verse six, Paul made mention of the good fruit that the Colossians had after having talked about them having received the gospel. He says, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. And so what can we learn from this? That the Colossians had good fruit in the past and that Paul desires for them to continue to produce these good fruit in their lives. Well, what we should learn is this. It is not enough for the Colossians to have just borne fruit yesterday and it is not enough for us to have borne fruit only yesterday either but rather they and we also ought to continue all the more to produce more and more fruit because when we bear much fruit, God is pleased with us. This is what pleases the Lord. And so understand, if we are to please him, then we must bear fruit in every good work. But before we can ever know what these good works are, we must first possess this spiritual wisdom. We must first possess this, this understanding of what it is that God wills for us to do and how are we to know what God's will is? How are we to know what pleases him? How does a man become wise knowing what is the will of God? Well, it's quite simple. We do so through the word of God. Psalm 19.7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And so while Psalm 19 also tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, we should also know that we have no need to gaze up into heaven like the men of Galilee, wondering what God's will is for our life. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Oh, we could spend the rest of this morning and the rest of this day just going through all the laws that God has laid out for us to do, and those laws are good. They are as follows, that you shall not murder, 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the list could even go on further. And we ought to obey all these commands for they are the unfading, unchanging word of God that reveals his will for us. But what would profit us more this morning than going through every single law would be to consider what it is that makes these laws and their instructions good. And so with this in mind, let us consider for just a moment the quality of these works. Paul describes the quality as such. He says that these are good works in Colossians 1.10. That is the fruit that we are to bear, good works. And this is its quality. They possess goodness. But what makes them good? What makes them good is God has said that they are good, and we can know that they are good because God alone is good. The repeated refrain from the creation account in Genesis 1 reminds us of this. After each day, God, he looks at his creation, and Moses records these words. And God saw that it was good. Over and over and over again, he looks at his creation. He says, oh, this is good. God is the one, and he has always been the only one who is able to rightly define what is good and what is not good. But there is a problem. For ever since the beginning of, of sin, ever since the fall, men and women have been trying to define good and evil for themselves. Look at Eve, what she did. And Genesis 3, 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, although it was not good, for God commanded that they would not eat it, but the woman in her, her sight, she saw something that was not so. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was the delight to her eyes and that the tree was, able to, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. <clears throat> and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Oh, we know that that was a foolish mistake. So we need not trust the wisdom that comes from man nor the appearance of wisdom that comes from our own sinful and deceptive hearts. For the wisdom that comes from the natural man proves only to be folly. And if you know, wish to know what is good, well then do not trust your heart for your heart is deceptive and wicked and so is mine. Of those who have suppressed the truth, Paul wrote this in Romans 1, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And yet again in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this wisdom that Paul is asking the Colossians to receive and that I am praying for us to receive as well this morning. It is not a wisdom that comes from the school of men. You can learn a stack of books and you can read and read all your life, but you will not receive this wisdom. Let me take this even a step further. The wisdom that Paul has in mind here is not a wisdom that is gained simply from binging sermons or years of seminary, although those are good. But instead, this wisdom is a spiritual wisdom that comes directly from the Spirit of God himself. And it is the Spirit alone who is able to make a person wise. And so what are you to do if, upon examining the quality of the works in your life, you see that there is little to no good fruit? 
Well, I'll tell you, you do not fix it in your own strength, but instead you and we all need to go to the one who is able to make the blind see. What we need is not simply a a tablet of stone, a list of rules and things to do and things not to do. No, instead what we need is more than this. We need the law to be written on our hearts so that we would rightly know what is good and evil and that we would rightly do and love what is good and avoid and hate that which is evil. And so if we have spiritual wisdom, as Paul is praying for them and as I am praying for you, then we will be doing these good works. This is the quality of the fruit that we will bear. But now after having considered the quality, let us consider the quantity of this fruit. The quantity is listed here that we would be bearing fruit in Every good work. Emphasis there on the word every. Do you want to live a life that is fully pleasing to God? Then you will bear much fruit in every part of your life, whether it be parenting, working, recreation, retiring, whether you're moving there or staying here, whether you're eating, drinking, sleeping, or whatever else it may be, you name it, in every part of your life, you ought to be producing every good work because there isn't a single portion of our lives that does not fully belong to God. And there isn't a single portion of our life that should be lacking the good fruit that is fully pleasing and acceptable to God. Oh, that we would just be as industrious in doing these good works as we are industrious in making a living for ourselves. If we wish to bear every good fruit, well then, we will need to grow in wisdom. And if we are going to grow in wisdom, then we need to go to that source of wisdom through prayer, just as Paul has done. He alone, God alone, will make you wise And he alone will produce the good fruit in your life, just as he has said. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing." And all the while, some of us wonder why we're struggling with the same sin. And all the while, all we're doing is going about it with man-made tactics, just trying to stop, just trying to get better. And all the while, doing nothing to abide in the vine that is able to, to make one wise and produce good fruit. We know this. Hopefully we do. And if you don't, hear it now. Christ has died so that we would be forgiven. This is true. But this is not the only reason Jesus died. He died also so that we would be delivered, not just from the penalty of sin, but he also died so that we would be delivered from the power of sin. What that simply means is he died so that sin would no longer be having its grip on us, so that we would no longer be slaves to the flesh, but instead we would be slaves and servants of Christ, doing what pleases him instead of doing all the desires of the flesh that are not pleasing to him. So I want you to please the Lord. I want to please the Lord too. And so I'm praying for you and I'm praying for myself as well that we all would grow in this knowledge, that we would all be filled with this knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we might do as Paul has said here in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, 
fully pleasing to him so that we might bear fruit that which pleases him in every good work. And also we see this so that we also would be increasing in the knowledge of God. And this is the second thing I want us to see. Spiritual wisdom results in an increased knowledge of God. The Colossians, it's true, they already knew God. Remember, Paul has already thanked God for what he is doing in among them in verse six. For they have received the word and have had this saving knowledge of God. But the result of knowing God and his will is this, that they would also increase in the knowledge of his will. And upon increasing in knowledge, they would also increase in the knowledge of God himself. Now, there are a lot of people who are not keen on this subject. Many think that if, if people just keep increasing in their knowledge of God, well, as that increases, so will their love of God decrease. They think it's some kind of way which the, scout, the scales will tip as, as that knowledge goes up, the, the love will only go down. They think that knowing God more fully will only create a stuffy and intellectual Christian rather than a burning, hot, passionate follower of Jesus. And yet Paul, he knows nothing of such a foolish claim. His desire for himself and for these particular saints, but all the saints, is for them and us to grow in a knowledge of their Savior. Now, we don't really believe this kind of logic, do we, that somehow increasing in knowledge will decrease our love? Does a lover of football love the sport less when they watch it every week? I know for one, my father-in-law, it seems he keeps watching the same reruns of Elway and his love for Elway just grows. Does a lover of food ever grow tired of eating a delicious meal? I'm pretty sure that if I ate steak every night, I would not be complaining. Or does a parent grow weary of hearing the refrain over and over of their children saying that they love them? I know I hope I never stop hearing those words from my kids. Come on. Who thinks that a growing knowledge of God will result in a lesser love for God? If they do, well, then they clearly know very little about God. For the more you know about God and what he has done for you, the more we will love him as well. Oh, that we would increase in our knowledge of God. Some of us have, have spent decades in the church, decades sitting under good preaching, decades sitting in Bible studies, decades reading the Bible, and yet some of us have nothing to show for it. Hebrews 5 puts it this way. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Oh, that we would not be infants in what is good, but instead may we be mature in knowing God and his will. Oh, that we would desire this knowledge about God more and more, the God who has rescued us from our sin and from death. This will take a lifetime of learning for us to ever seem to even scratch the surface. And only as we increase in our knowledge of him, so too will our love grow for him. And, and you don't need to take it from me. I'm a young guy to most of you. I'm only not even 30. But I love talking with Tate about the word. Tate's a little bit older than I am. 
And after every sermon he preaches, he tells me that he needs another month just to reflect on the verse that he's been working on in that week so that he might fully digest it and, and contemplate all the wonders that God is revealing to him in, in just a verse. Oh, I want to know God like that too. Paul wants us to know the love of God like this just as well. Ephesians 3, 18, he prays, may we have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of God that suppresses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I have no idea what that means. What does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? I don't know. What does it mean to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Once again, I do not know, but I am eager to find out. Oh, that we would know the love of God and that we would know our God more and more who loved us so much that he would give his only son so that we could be adopted into his family and to receive eternal life. This is a mystery. And it is a mystery that he has revealed in his word. And so we ought to know it. And we ought to know that God in a way that is intimate and close. And so if we want to increase in our knowledge of God, well, then we need to go back to the Lord himself who gives us spiritual wisdom. But now this order might surprise some. We might think, well, don't we know God first and then gain wisdom? Well, for the infant in faith, this would be true. For we are regenerated before we do anything that pleases God. But for the growing saint... A knowledge of God's will and obedience to that will naturally will produce an increased knowledge of God himself. We might compare this to a relationship of a husband and wife. A husband could know all kinds of details about his wife. He might know where she's born. He might know her maiden name, her middle name. He can know her height. He can know her shoe size. He can know all these different facts about her. But if a husband does not know what his wife desires, well, I would question whether he actually knows her at all. But if a husband learns something new that his wife desires, well, then his knowledge of his wife will grow. And so it is. We can plainly learn about God simply by learning about his will. Take, for example, Leviticus 21. God calls his people to be holy. These priests in particular, he says, you shall sanctify him for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. And so it is that the set-apart nature of these priests of Israel help us know something about God's holiness. God is not common like other things. He is holy, holy, holy. God is completely different than all the other created things. He is set apart. And we can learn that just by knowing what it means to be set apart as well. And again, Exodus 20 and one of the commandments that he gives there at Sinai is this, you shall not commit adultery. And what can we learn about our God with this commandment? But that he is a jealous God and his glory he will not give to another. And when we love anything, be it our own life, be it our wife, our husband, our children, our family, our jobs, our, our comfort, or anything other than him, if we love anything and, and our love is his, our love for him is competing with these lesser things. He compares it to adultery. 
And again, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So we are told that we are to love our enemies. And what do we learn about our God in that? But that he, our Father himself, loves his enemies. In fact, he loved us. For if we were enemies while we were reconciled to God by his death of his son, so much more now that we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. So when we're filled with the knowledge of the will of God, what is the result? When we know what God desires of us, we learn about who he is. Spurgeon, he summed it up better than I could ever put it, and so let me just read from him. Look at that, Spurgeon says. It seems then that holiness is the road to knowledge. God has made it so. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. If you read and study and cannot make out the meaning of Scripture, get up and do something, and it may be in the doing of it you shall discover the secret. Holiness of heart shall increase the illumination of your mind. So it is, if we are filled with the knowledge of God's will, our knowledge of God himself will also increase. Let's look at what else happens when we're filled with this spiritual wisdom. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And here's the third one, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And so it is, spiritual wisdom results in us having received supernatural strength. That word supernatural might make most of us uncomfortable, but oh, it is not from this world this is not the strength of a man who is lifting weights or the strength of a big truck that can tow tons. This is the strength that comes from God. Let's take this down one at a time and look at how Paul describes this strength that is to be received. First, Paul tells us that this wisdom will strengthen us with all power. This is at the very least a reminder that we all need something introduced to our weary frame if we ever wish to be strong. We all need food and water and oxygen and to be warm, but not too warm. And even still, if all these things line up, we are still weak and a million other things can go wrong and can cause this frail frame to just be nothing, back to dust once again. A man without God's grace is like Samson without his hair. But if you think you are great and strong, well then consider then the humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar who also thought that he was great and strong. Listen to this from Daniel chapter four. And at the end of 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for all, for, for the glory of my majesty. And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. 
and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. And immediately the words were fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. We can't make this stuff up. Our God, he humbles the pride of men. And so he who thinks that he is strong ought to humble himself before the Lord, before the Lord humbles him, and he will. For we were made from the dust, and to the dust we shall return. But lest a Christian thinks himself to be just a worm, let us continue to grow in this wisdom so that we might be able to receive this supernatural strength, the strength that comes from God. Listen, Paul, he puts it this way, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. God has displayed his strength for us time and time again, and those who have spiritual wisdom have a a knowledge of the greatness of their God that fills them with this power that is foreign to the world. It is a power that comes from God's glorious might. This is the power that made Joshua and the children of Israel strong and courageous as they entered into the promised land. Joshua knew of God's glorious might. Why? because he knew God defeated the armies in the past and all of Israel's problems, and he overthrew Pharaoh and his army with ease. And when King Saul and his army were too afraid to face Goliath, what made this little shepherd boy that we know as David so brave as to face this giant without any armor? What gave him that courage except that he knew of the glorious might of his God that could defeat Goliath? And such bravery, just so we are clear, this is not ignorance to danger. Young teenagers do dangerous things that they shouldn't do, and that's just because they're ignorant of the danger of a car crash when they don't buckle up. But this is not ignorance that causes these men to go face to face with what is dangerous, but rather what this is is they have received knowledge and wisdom from God that strengthens them so that they can face every single trouble without giving way. Consider the glorious might of God that he has displayed throughout the ages and let it strengthen us as well. Consider everything created, everything made, everything that we see both here on this planet and everything beyond that we have yet to see with all our telescopes. Everything was made by the word of God. Without lifting a finger, God created everything, and yet with all our strength, what can man do in comparison to him? Sure, we can can build a tower up into the heavens, and yet God will send confusion immediately. Oh, let us just consider the might of our God once again, who destroyed Pharaoh with the blast of his nostrils. Again, both hands tied behind his back, and it's no problem for him. And why does God do this? Well, listen to it in Exodus 9. He says this, but for this purpose, I have raised you up, Pharaoh, so that to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So Pharaoh's strength was only given to Pharaoh so that God could show that he's stronger than Pharaoh. 
Consider him who makes armies march around cities to destroy them instead of laying siege to them. Consider the might of our God who made Gideon's army weak so that we would all know that the, the victory belongs to the Lord. Look at the glorious might of our God and consider this, the one who spoke, the incarnate word, who spoke and the winds and the seas obeyed him. The one who spoke and the demons fled, who spoke and the sick were healed, who spoke and the dead were raised. Look at the glorious might of our God and consider what shall we say to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, and we're gonna need this strength. We're gonna need to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And we're gonna need this endurance and patience because we're gonna face trials, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. We will need endurance for each of these if we wish to remain faithful to the Lord. And the means to accessing this strength lies in being filled with the knowledge of his will. And so this is essential if we wish to endure. But there are some of such a demeanor who can withstand such great trials and they have endurance, they have patience because they're made of iron and they're strong and they're not afraid. But what makes this power from God special and unique is is that this endurance and patience is accompanied with joy. This is the kind of strength that makes persecuted prisoners like Peter sing praises to their God. This is the kind of strength that makes believers count it all joy when they face trials of various kinds. And this is the strength from God that empowered John Huss to gladly die for Christ while being burned alive. And as he was being burned, he sung praises to his God. And so again, let me ask, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I know that we would just ponder for a moment what things he has given us already. And this leads us into the final result of this spiritual wisdom. Let's read the whole prayer from top to bottom, starting in verse nine. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, and every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Here's the last one. You see it there in verse 12. Spiritual wisdom results in gratitude towards the Father. And now this week, we're just gonna dip our toes in this one to round out these four participles. But there's no way in which we could ever really grasp all the things that our God has done, let alone in the closing five minutes that we have this morning. 
And so next week, Tate's going to actually pick up and he's going to close us by just talking about this final one. But let us consider for just a moment what it is that our God has done that would cause for us to be grateful. When we gain this kind of wisdom and see what our Father has done, the only possible result would be that we give him thanks. And this is exactly what Paul, he does in his letter. This prayer actually is really hard to see where this prayer ends because this prayer just propels Paul further into the purpose of this letter. Listen to it. I'm going to skip ahead to, to verse 12, and I'm going to keep reading, and I want you to try to see if you can spot where the prayer ends and where the argument of Paul begins. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, that which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I don't know if you saw it or not. We moved quickly, but... The prayer rolls right into us knowing who Christ is and what he has done for us. So we should recognize there really is no room for there to be a grumpy Christian. Not if we actually have this wisdom at least. For how can we grumble against our God who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? Ah, uh, yeah, but we are sinners. And even when God delivered Israel, they too would grumble in the wilderness as we often do the same. And this grumbling is owing to our ignorance. And so let us, instead of remaining in our ignorance and in our frustrated state, let us instead grow in wisdom. Let us grow in our knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom. Let us learn about what God has done for us in sending his son to die so that we may live. Oh, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him by bearing good fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with his glorious might and giving thanks to the Father. And so to this end, let me do what Paul did for the Colossians. Let me pray for us and ask that the Lord would give us this wisdom. Father, we do thank you. We do thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for the cross, the place where you sent your son to die so that we could be reconciled to you. 
And Lord, we thank you for your spirit that is with us now that gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. And so, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our minds so that we might understand these things that we were once blind to. Lord, for those who have yet to place their faith in you, Lord, I pray that you would awaken their hearts even here and now so that they might see the glorious might that you displayed on the cross for their salvation. Lord, would you give us this wisdom? Would you give us understanding of your will so that we might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? And Lord, may it result in you being pleased and glorified. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all these things. We ask all this in Christ.